Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5 and 19, and I, I really don't, I have a lot of scriptures tonight, um, actually about 24, and I'm not expecting you to find all those as I go through. I, I won't have time for you to find each one. Hopefully we'll, <laughs> uh, we'll be able to keep up. But 2 Corinthians 5 and 19, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. Lord Jesus, tonight the topic that uh, we're going to be talking about is a very important pocket, uh, topic for the church, Lord. Because, um, Lord, we're part of you. And if we don't know you and the riches of your glory, Lord, we will miss the beauty of the message that we preach and I, I pray that you'd open our understanding tonight, tonight, that you would speak through me to the ears of those that are here. And I want to give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, a couple years ago, time flies so quickly. It, it seems like it was just months ago, but I know it's probably been a couple years by now. Um, I was walking by Rainbow Springs. Um, Anybody know where that is? Yeah, you do. And I happened to come across a couple there that were walking. Yeah, we were, we were the only one on the trail, the two, the two couples and myself, or the one couple and myself. And we hit it off, you know, they were Christians and they were talking about their, their love and their faith in God and they were excited to talk to a, another Christian. But she... Um, she said, are you, what religion are you? And I said, well, I'm a Pentecostal. And she said, I bet you're one of those one God Pentecostals. And I said, uh, yes, I am. And she says, well, I believe you're the only part of the Christian body that cannot be saved. In other words, she went from one extreme to the other because if I did not believe in a trinity there was no way that I could be saved. And I, I, I sort of looked at her and I said, um, it's funny you say that because the scripture said, unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. And I say to you, unless you believe he is God, you will die in your sins. And so to, tonight I wanna, I wanna go back and look at a topic that we can't study too much. There's so many scriptures, there's so much knowledge given in the word of God concerning who Christ was and his relationship to God that we need to go over and over again because we have to have an answer for the hope that's in us. I want to read uh, uh, 1 Timothy 3 and 16, one of our favorite verses. It says, uh, without controversy, great is the mystery of of godliness. With any, without any argument, it says God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels and preached on the Gentiles. He believed on, in the world and received up into glory. 
Well, what is the, the, the substance of God? When we're, we're talking about God, what is his substance? Well, the Bible tells me that in John, the fourth chapter, verse 24, that God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So the essence of God, the substance of God, is spirit. Now, a spirit can't be seen. It's almost like the wind. You can feel the wind. You can see evidence of the wind when it picks things up in it and carries it. You can see the destruction that it causes, but technically, you cannot see the wind. Now, when I look at 1 Timothy 1 and 17, now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Now, the scripture goes on to say that no man has seen God at any time. And we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight because according to the word of God, people have saw God. And the question we have to ask or will be asked us is, isn't that a contradiction? It says that no man hath seen God in 1 John 4 and 12. 1 John 4 and 12, no man hath seen God at any time. And then the Bible says that people saw him. Well, the Bible again tells me that he's invisible. He can't be seen, but he can manifest himself in ways that we can relate to. You know, it's God's, God's essence is beyond many people's minds and even mine, I believe, of man's understanding, my own understanding. Because when I read Romans, the 11th chapter, verse 33, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. His ways are past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? His thoughts are above my thoughts. We have to be careful not to define God's character through our own ideas, through our own assumptions, or through our own understanding. Now, we can use the witnesses that are in the word of God. In Isaiah, Isaiah writes these words in verse 8 of Isaiah 55. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Throughout time, man has always tried to relate to God through things that he's experienced and things that he sees. People worship the sun. People worship the moon. They worship nature. They believe that man came from the Nile River. The earth was hatched from an egg. They always tried to understand the supernatural things by the things that they witnessed around them. But my Bible says my thoughts are not his thoughts. My ways are in his ways. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the mind of man or his imagination what God has prepared for us. 
So for us to try to understand them with human reasoning, we're going to err. John in the fifth chapter, verse 39 says, search the scriptures for in them, and notice these words, two words, you think you have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. It's not what people think that makes things true because people think a lot of things. It's what's in the word of God, what's revealed through the word to man that matters. There's a lot of viewpoints on God and I want to touch on some of them because you're going to run into people that fall into one of these categories. You'll run into a person that says there is no God. There's a lot of them in existence today. They're called atheists. And they, like someone mentioned, we mention it all the time in the pulpit, they have their own day. Psalm 53 and 1, the fool has said in his heart there's no God. So you have those that outright deny his existence. Then you have agnosticism. Those people believe that there quite possibly is a God, but there's no way that we can know him. But my Bible contradicts that, that idea. In Isaiah 43 and 10, it says, you are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand. That you might know, that you might believe, and that you might understand. How many times have I had people tell me when they talk about their, their view of God that it's a mystery that you can't understand how three can be one? But my Bible tells me that I can understand that. That I am he. Before me there was no God form, neither shall there be after me. And then in Jeremiah, the Lord is speaking these words in 24 and 7, and I will give them a heart to know me that I am their Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. So it is very possible and probable according to the word of God for people to know God. But then we have another group of people. You'll find a lot of these people in the Middle East, uh, Eastern cultures, they believe in pantheism that God is nature. Uh, he, is a, he is in the forces of nature or in the universe. He's life, the life of the earth. Now, the scripture seems to contradict that quite clearly too. And we're warned against that philosophy. Because in Deuteronomy... Uh, Moses is writing in chapter 4, verse 15, Take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves, for you saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spake unto you in Horeb, out of the midst of fire, lest you corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image, the similitude of any figure, the likeness of male or female, 
the likeness of any beast that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged fowl that flieth in the air, the likeness of anything that creepeth on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the waters beneath the earth. Unless thou lift up thine eyes unto heaven, and when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars, even all the host of heaven, shouldest be driven to worship them and serve them, take heed unto yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make you a graven image or the likeness of anything which the Lord hath forbidden thee. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. So it's, it's within the element of man or the nature of man to try to understand or find something that he can see to worship. And we have people that worship all manner of things. I've had people tell me, and you might have said this yourself, I feel God is in the forest. I feel him in the wind. I feel him with the sun on my face. Well, that's not God. What you're feeling is evidence of his creation. But God is God. He's not the sun, and he's not the wind. Now, there's another group of people, and um, there are Christians that would probably fall into this category called polytheism. That, that means they believe in many gods or more than one God. Now, this is a difficult lesson for some to hear. There is only one God. There's not three gods. There's not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. The Bible forbids worship of more than one. Now, Psalms 96 and 5 says, For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. And then in 1 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, in verse 4, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and there is none other God but one. And we're going to talk about the Father. We're going to talk about the element of the Son. We're going to talk a little bit about the Holy Ghost. Maybe not tonight, but in the next couple of series that I teach, I want to address each one, see how they fitly frame together. Now, the last one I want to talk to you about briefly is a category that we would fall into and the Jewish nation would fall into. Now, we talked about polytheism, polytheism which is the belief in many gods. But monotheism is the belief that there is only one God. And the Jews have been basically, when they've been serving God monotheistic from the time of Abraham, actually even to Adam. Because when Adam walked in the garden, he only walked with one guy. He only walked with one, and that was God. Now, let's look at some of the verses that, that declare that God is monotheistic, that there's only one, and how strongly the Bible tells us to hold on to that, that perception and that belief in God. Now, in most Jews would carry on their hand a phylactery and on their forehead a phylactery. Phylactery, phylactery. 
And what those are, and I might have them reversed. One was on their forehead in a box. One was wore on their hand. And in that box that they wore was a scripture. That scripture is Deuteronomy 6 and 4. This first that we just read. Because God wanted that message, or they wanted that message close to their thoughts. They wanted their children to know the very essence of our faith is based on here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now we go on to the fourth chapter in verse 35 of Deuteronomy. And it is this, unto thee it was showed that thou mightest know that the Lord, he is God, there is none else beside him. Now if you take a trinity, and you say that there is a throne for the Father, a throne for the Son, and a throne for the Holy Ghost, and you say that all three are co-equal, co-eternal, co-powerful, co-majestic, we're going to have conflicts with these scriptures that we're reading. There's no God beside him. Isaiah 43 and 10, you are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. Isaiah 44 and 6, thus saith the Lord, I'm the first, I'm the last, and beside me there is no God. Is there a God beside me? That's verse 8. Yea, there is no God. I know not any. Then again in Isaiah 45, verse 5, I'm the Lord and there's none else. There's no God beside me. That they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. Do you think that God's trying to drive a point home? He knew the nations of the earth were going to be either polytheistic or uh, all of these different forms of worship. They'd want to worship the sea and the oceans and the sun and the moon. And he has to drill it into his own uh, creation, into the mind of man, that he alone created these things. And there was none beside him. Isaiah 45, verse 21. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me. Now notice in this scripture, he shows himself as God and a Savior. This is the first insight to the word, the name of Jesus that we have in the Old Testament. Because Jesus means God has become my salvation. God has become my Savior. This verse, he mentions that a just God and a Savior. Now, if you go back to the Hebrew, that word and could be translated even. Many times it was even. God, even a Savior. There's none beside me. Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there's none else. Isaiah 46 and 9, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there's none else. I'm God and there's none like me. Uh, Malachi 2 and 10, have you not all one father? Hath not one created us? 
And then we jump to the New Testament. In Ephesians 4 and 6, it says, there's one God and Father of all, notice the word and, even Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. One God who's above all, in all, and through you all. And then in James 2 and 19, thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. You're one of those one God people, Jesus only. (laughs) I had fun when she said that to me. She says, you're Jesus only. And I said, that is not the truth. I am Jesus everything. He's my bread when I'm hungry. He's my water when I'm thirsty. He's my physician. He's my advocate. He's my foundation. He's my hope. He's everything to me. And you know what? When I say those things about Jesus, I am saying them to God. Not not that I need to divide my attention for another, I, I grew up in a Methodist church and actually we went from Methodist to Lutheran, which I couldn't tell much difference as a child. And we, we were Trinitarians or the church were, were Trinitarians. To be honest, it didn't mean anything to me, the Trinity. I knew that I had to learn uh, the catechism Um, that was involved in the Methodist church. And um, then I heard about how I had a friend named Paul who went to the Catholic church. And he would share with me that he prayed to more than just the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. He prayed to Mary. And oftentimes he would petition Mary for something that he needed. And I thought, well, that sounds... And they said it themselves like the Holy Family. It was more than just one. It was a group of individuals. My Bible deeply contradicts that. Just in the few verses that I've shared with you on the monotheistic God, you cannot cannot balance those two together. Now, the Bible again said that God is an invisible God. Well, then let's address the question that will be asked you. Well, if God is invisible, how come he appeared to people? For instance, and I, you don't need to turn there. I didn't give you these scriptures because I'm just going to reference them. Uh, God appeared to Abraham in the form of a man. Can you remember Uh, His name? He paid tithes to him? Melchizedek. Good job. There's a $100 bill under one of these chairs, Brother Cordell. I think there's a $100 bill under one of these. They said that at district conference to get people to stay focused. And you know what? Nobody ever did find a $100 bill, but... You guess the next one, and there might be a $100 bill underneath your chair. God appeared to Moses in what form? Burning bush. Well, does that mean that God is a burning bush? He appeared to 
the elders and to Moses on Mount Sinai in fire and clouds in a, a strong voice. Well, does that mean that God is fire and clouds and smoke? He appeared to Isaiah the prophet in a vision. But I want to tell you all the manifestations that man saw in the Old Testament were temporary. He appeared to Joshua, remember, as the, the uh, captain of the Lord's host. So when we were at Bible school, um, many of you never had the opportunity to meet Brother Kelsey Griffin. He preached here in Economowoc many years ago. He was uh, an Old Testament instructor at, at ABI. And I remember a lesson he taught on the theophanies of God. A theophany is a divine manifestation, a temporary divine manifestation that God uses to express himself to mankind for a moment of time. So when I look at the burning bush and I look at the captain of the Lord's host and the smoke and the fire, the pillar of the cloud that followed him in the wilderness and the fire at night, we would call them theophanies because they're no longer there anymore. They were there for a period of time to help man walk and follow God and trust in him. It's important for us to remember what we read in the beginning of our lesson tonight in 1 Timothy 4, that God is invisible. No man has ever seen God at any time in 1 John 4 and 12. All we see of God is a manifestation or an expression of him. Now, what, what was really neat in the New Testament is God took on another way to manifest himself. In the Old Testament, it was a theophany, theophanies. But in the New Testament, it was completely different because God robed himself in flesh and he lived and dwelt among us for 33 and a half years. He had taken on a form to live in. Robed in flesh. Now, Matthew 1, 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So who was Jesus according to Matthew 1 and 23? God with us. Not a portion of God, not one third of God, God was with us. Now, when Isaiah was prophesying about the birth of Christ, he mentioned many titles associated with this child. He said, and for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So is Jesus the mighty God? According to Isaiah's prophecy, he is. Is his name called Counselor? 
Yes. And the Prince of Peace. What about the Father? That's a title for himself as well. He was the father in sense of creation, wasn't he? Colossians, the first chapter, I believe, says all things were created by him and for him, and without him, every, there was nothing created. So God, in essence, was a father. And God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. So these are all titles to God. Now, that's not far-fetched. When I say that Jesus is the Father, matter of fact, the Bible said he came as a son over his own house. No, the head of my house was my father. But the scripture says Jesus was different than my family because he was a son over his own house. He was in the beginning, and Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. How could he say that? He was only born in the year technically zero AD. He existed as the spirit of God, the spirit in Christ. Jesus went on to say in John 14, when in reference to the father, Jesus saith unto him, how long have I been with you? And yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me has seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Have you ever really tried to stop and look at that? Philip, how long do I have to be with you before you recognize who I am? You're saying, show us the Father. Well, the Father would be God, and he's saying, hello, how long do I have to walk with you and raise the dead and heal the sick and calm the sea? before you recognize who I am. When you see me, you see the Father. I am all, Jesus is all that you'll ever see of God. His spirit, God's invisible spirit, dwelt in the body of Christ who became the Lamb of God. God gave himself a sacrifice for our sin. He didn't, you know, I used to get so upset with that. Years ago, they'd say, the father loved you so much. He loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for you. I had a problem with that. And I don't know if I'm the only guy that ever thinks this way. That'd be like saying, I love my wife so much that I'm gonna have my son die for her. No, I would die for her myself. I wouldn't send someone else. That's why the Bible says he came onto his own and his own received him not. He didn't send another to die for him. It was him. He prepared a body so that he could die. I'm gonna look at 1 Timothy 3 and 16 one more time here. Let's look at this again. Paul's saying without any argument, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Now, the Trinitarian will look at that and say, that shows you that the, the, the Godhead or the Trinity is a mystery because Paul mentions the mystery of godliness. No, that's not what the scripture says. 
he is saying without any argument, great is the mystery of godliness. And he goes on to show you what it is. This was the mystery. It's no longer a mystery. God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. God was seen of angels. God preached unto the Gentiles. God believed unto the world and received, was received up into the glory. How many gods are there? There's only one God and father of all who's in all and through you all, lives through you all. Well, let's look, let's see if, is that talking about Christ? Who was it that was uh, a fleshly manifestation? It was Jesus Christ. Jesus the Christ. Who was justified in the spirit? Jesus was. Who was seen of angels? Jesus was. Who preached unto the Gentiles? Jesus did. Who was believed on in the world? Jesus was believed on in the world. And who was received up into the clouds, into glory? Jesus was. What Paul is saying, Christ was the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the obvious subject of these events. All of the Godhead, all of divinity, all of the essence of God is found in Christ. He's not, as the Jehovah Witnesses preach, just a small God. That's, by the way, that's what they teach. When you say that Jesus is God, they will say, you're right, I agree with you, but they don't agree with you because that word in their Bible says he's a small God or he's an important individual. He's not a portion of God. He's not part of a trinity. He is the fullness of God. He's the completeness of God. He is the almighty God. Colossians 2 and 8 says this, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And he goes on to say this, For in him, in Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He claimed to be the Father. He claimed to be the Spirit. Jesus said he would not leave you comfortless, but he would come unto you. At that day you shall know that I am in the Father, ye in me, and I in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus is the Holy Spirit. He is the Holy Ghost. I have Christ living within me. I have the fullness of God's nature in me. And I should clarify that so there's no misunderstanding. Jesus was given the fullness without measure. I have access to it. Jesus, our Messiah, let me put it plainly, is the embodiment of God. John 14, as we read before, he that hath seen me has seen the Father. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3, but if our gospel it is hid, 
Think about this now. It is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. I, as a chaplain, I worked with many different religions in the hospital and in the hospice. If they would have known that I did not believe in the Trinity, many of them would have nothing to do with me. You might feel that you blend into Christendom. If you're a monotheistic believer in Jesus as, as God, the only God, you fit not into ecumenicalism at all. They consider you a cult. They consider you lost. That's the theology. And you have to realize that there is going to be a cost for this. But have you ever tried to make them understand? It's like, I can remember Brother Cordell when I first came to Parkway, maybe about within the first few months, I was sitting in the balcony in Sanctuary 2, and I all of a sudden was, they were, Brother Tam was preaching about Jesus, and I had a light go on in my head. I don't know if it happened that way you and I, to you, but all of a sudden I understood, Jesus is God. I understand that. It was like a revelation. The Bible says no man can see he's of the Father unless the Spirit reveals it to him. Now I can sit down and try to convince people, but it is a Spirit that reveals it to them. And I sat up in my chair and I said, hello, how could I have ever even thought there was a Trinity? The fullness of God is in Christ bodily. There is only one God. There's not three thrones in heaven. There's only one throne in heaven. I don't need to worry if I divide my affection between the Father and, and I neglect the Son, if they're going to feel hurt. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For God hath commanded the light to shine out of darkness. And you can thank God tonight for this, that God has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Outside of salvation, if you have any other thing that is of equal importance to your own redemption, it's the knowledge that you know who Jesus truly is. And then I have one more verse. 1 John 1, verse 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard and we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. Christ manifested himself, or God manifested himself through Christ unto us. Now, is it, is it important to Christ if you believe in the monotheistic view of his nature. 
Well, didn't he ask Peter and his disciples that question? Was it important? Who do you say that I am? I'm sort of misquoting a little bit. It just popped in mind. Who do you say that I am? And uh, some men said this, and some men said that. And he said, but who do you say that I am? I wish I could get the verse out all the way. I'm just a cloudy, but you know which one I'm talking about. Come on, let's, this is just a little class tonight. Somebody stand up and fill that in. Do you remember that verse? He's speaking to Peter, and Peter has a revelation, the great revelation. Stand up and tell me that verse if you can. Can you read that for me? Now it's going to bother me. You know, the cool thing about this is this is really just a, a time of fellowship in a class. But I, I, want to, I want you to hear this first. Go ahead and read it, Brother Russ. It was important to Christ before his crucifixion that his disciples know who he was. And he goes on in that verse to say, upon this shall I build my church. Upon this statement shall I build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This knowledge of the one God, it's the very foundation on which the church is built. And the gates of hell cannot defeat the church. Don't you ever compromise your doctrine and say, well, it really doesn't matter. It does matter. God wants to know what you believe. Do you believe that I am he? He says, unless you do, unless you do, you're going to die in your sins. Do you know that's why people don't think it's important to baptize in the name of Jesus? That's why a majority of ecumenical churches baptize in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Because it really isn't important to them. But to the child of God who knows who he is and that there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. It's essential. It's critical. And any pastor worth the salt, if somebody came to me and said, you know, I was baptized in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, I would say to them, it is essential. It is absolutely essential that you get baptized again. Because there's authority in the name because it represents the one true God. Not to mention that the Bible commanded us to do it in his name. So I, I am going to stop there tonight, but you can, you can have a lot of good conversations with your friends, but when you start to get into the, the side of the conversation upon who God is, you're going to find division. You're going to find people will get real radical with you. 
they will walk away from you and not have one thing to do with you. But that's all right. Am I, I mad at them? Not necessarily. I guess God hasn't revealed it to them. Maybe because of their own unbelief. Let's stand together tonight. Have you ever, I know you're, you're all daydreamers. You can really see that when the preacher's up here. You know, they have great imaginations. And many people of you were out in the boat fishing at times while things were going on. And that's not, I'm not mad. I do that myself. I might all of a sudden find myself in a place and have to bring myself back. But have you ever in your imagination thought what you're going to do when you get to heaven? and you're walking through the gates of that city, what is the first thing that you're going to do outside of thanking God for your salvation? You're going to look for your house? You're going to look for the place that God created for you, your mansion? You know what I'm going to look for? The one that I love. Now, I love my parents, and I know they're there. They're going to be there. But me and Jesus have been walking these valleys and these mountaintops and been fighting lions and tigers and bears for 40-some years together. I'm going to go to Gord. I'm going to find him if he isn't there in front of me when I arrive because he's the most important thing to me. And to know him and in the power of his might, that's a revelation that no one is ever going to steal from me. Lord Jesus, tonight, thank you for the time we've had together. Thank you for the revelation that you have given to mankind, to your church, on who you are, Lord. I know that we cannot possibly, with our human minds, comprehend the vastness of your power, the vastness of your authority. But we do know, Lord Jesus, Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.